0: That's heritageradionetwork.org/15 to donate and enter to win today, and make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: As the news of coronavirus reverberates throughout the world, we at HRN are especially concerned about how coronavirus will impact our food system. We will use our platform to support the restaurant agriculture hospitality, and other food-related industries by maintaining our coverage and operations. As social distancing becomes the temporary norm, podcasts are more important than ever. There's never been a more crucial time to stay informed about the state of our food system and the way that food connects our global community. We're sharing all of our COVID-19 coverage at heritageradionetwork.org slash COVID-19. From interviews with nonprofit leaders and journalists, to first hand accounts from chefs and restaurant owners, to reports on how the crisis is affecting regional farms. Our team is working remotely from all over to keep Food Radio alive. HRN needs your support more than ever to keep sharing essential stories and resources with our listeners. Make a donation of any amount. Visit slash donate.
2: Welcome to Food Without Borders, a show about food, politics, and identity. I'm your host, Sari Kamen, and you're listening to heritageradionetwork.org. In light of the novel coronavirus pandemic, Food Without Borders is airing At The Table, a special interview series with journalists, chefs, farmers, activists, and business owners navigating the impact of COVID-19 on the food and beverage industry. This series was originally recorded for MOFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink. If you'd like to watch the online video version of these interviews, please visit www.mofad.org backslash online video series. Thank you so much for listening.
3: Hi, everyone. This is Sari, the Public Programs Manager of MOFAD. I am back with at The Table, which is our online video series about the impact of COVID on the restaurant industry. Um, today, I'm in conversation with Tunde He is a Nigerian-born chef and activist coming to us from New Orleans. Hello, Tunde. Hi. Hey,
4: how, how are you doing?
3: <laughs> I'm doing pretty well. I just watched uh, an awesome conversation on Instagram Live with uh, Yawande Komolafe and Osai. And I saw you were on there too, which was great. Yeah. Yeah, with Black, black food folks. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Um, I, can I just say, I don't, um, we, we don't have to get into this, but I don't call myself an activist. Uh, I just feel uncomfortable. I, I don't feel like I'm qualified okay. to be an activist. Yeah. But thank you for uh, the sentiment behind that.
3: Yeah, of course. Um, I feel like the perception of you uh, differs from your own perception in that way, but you know of course however you want to describe yourself on here is is what is what you are Um, so anyway um, the reason I guess we're speaking today is because you have strong opinions about (laughs) 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 a lot of things (laughs) many things (laughs) um, that you've written about and been vocal about and spoken about Um, one of them is this moment in time and uh, you know, kind of the whole point of this this series is about COVID and how it relates to the restaurant industry. And you did, you know, kind of a now infamous Instagram series of posts um, about why, in your opinion, the restaurant industry should not be bailed out. Um, and so we'll get into that. But first, if you wouldn't mind, because you're in New Orleans, can you just let us know, like, what, how does it feel right now? Like, what is sort of take the temperature on what life in New Orleans is like?
4: Yeah, well, it's hard to say that because most life is, and I think it should be anyway, is confined to a small space. So I'm not in as much communion with the city as I was before the lockdown. So all that to say that the life that I know about New Orleans is mostly mine. And it's, you know, mine and just the immediate community around me. So I mostly stay within like a one mile radius where I live, you know, go to the grocery store and come back and that kind of stuff. So it's pretty quiet, it's like a weekend, it's pretty chill. The energy is um like laid back. Um so that's what life is like for me, but um obviously New Orleans is at the center of um you know, the pandemic in a way. Yeah. And so for a lot of people I'm sure it's not the same thing. So Uh, I can't speak to what people are experiencing um, who are dealing with this virus, or people who who have to go to work every day and be on the front lines and stuff like that. I can just say, like, here it just seems uh, kind of relaxed and slow. And I'm sure there's anxiety behind behind, uh, or beneath that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs)
3: So is. <laughs> well thanks for speaking to your experience about your life right now in new orleans um so speaking of new orleans the way you kind of um rooted this uh conversation that you started on instagram um was speaking about life in new orleans after after katrina and how the government responded to the restaurant industry at that time so um I guess my question is, how did the government response at that time after Katrina, in terms of the relief, uh, inform the way you feel about this current moment with the way that the restaurant industry is asking for help?
4: Right. So I'll say two things that would probably disqualify me from giving my opinion, but that hasn't stopped me. First thing is that I'm not a, a restaurateur currently. I don't own a restaurant. I haven't owned a restaurant being been uh, restaurant owner since 2015 and I was telling somebody that even then I was poor at it I failed you know I closed the business after like six months um, <clears throat> and that's the first thing second thing is I am a recent um, uh, recent resident to New Orleans I'm, I've only been here f- since 2015 so about five years uh, so I was definitely not here around Katrina at all um, and so that's like the preamble, but I think why that is important is because everything that I'm saying about restaurants and about Katrina aren't spe- it, 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 it isn't specialized information it isn't from my experience. this is public knowledge you know if you if you just scan um briefly um History, or you know, you talk to people about Katrina, or you talk to people that, who own restaurants. The things that I say are true. So I'm, so all of that to say is that we don't need to look too far beyond us to like understand where things are going. After Katrina, you know, some people, some people actually said that the city should not be built out. That it was more trouble than it's worth, right? So that's that. That was the dire situation um, that folks in New Orleans. Um, faced and restaurants were, um, were, were were battered you know they, they they took a beating you know everything that makes restaurants work you know water um, power food employees all of that was like completely disrupted by by Katrina again you, you don't have to have lived through Katrina to know that you know that's that's what happened and so That moment, you know, was, I think, for some people, um, was a moment that was difficult to see beyond, right? Um, But in retrospect, that moment was a catalyst for what New Orleans is right now, which, uh, in terms of numbers, the the restaurant and hospitality industry has um, rebounded considerably. I have to tell you, I live with my brother, and so he's going to be doing things I walk around here, <laughs> so that happens. would be crazy. Anyway, um, so so Katrina, you know, was this moment that catalyzed what the present is right now. So in terms, so there was this influx of money. Um, there was, you know, development, um, so like ramped up to rebuild, but also to expand. Um, the city and the infrastructure. And, I, and by that, I don't necessarily mean key infrastructure like the levees, which were addressed, but maybe not to the extent that folks wanted it to be. I'm talking about the social infrastructure of the city. So, you know, more businesses, more restaurants, more bars, more hotels, more, all of that stuff um, happened here. Um and because with, with that comes more tax revenue, and also more white people moved in, more people in general moved moved into the city um, to take up space, uh, uh, and also you know in, a, in in essence to 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 displace as well. And so if Katrina is is a is a moment that caused this sort of like once in a generation disruption or break in our social and Economic lives and the pandemic is not just that, but also uh, a more broadly or broadly en- en- encompassing reality. So, New, uh, Katrina was about New Orleans, the pandemic is about the globe. Um, we can see that if we're you know, to follow trends, that what is most likely going to happen. Considering how much investment we have in our current like, economic system, in our current um, social order, we are going, this is going to be a blip that reinforces the systems and the processes that came before it. And this is just my perspective based, on based again, not on any sort of like specialized knowledge, but based on, on a superficial reading of New Orleans. And I say superficial because I'm saying that it's obvious what happened. Like you, you don't need to be an expert to see this. You, you just need to be honest about um, what you're seeing.
3: Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I'm also curious because you brought 9-11 into that post that you wrote. Uh, and you kind of compared the the way that the United States reacted and recovered after 9-11 versus the way that Katrina um, after Katrina, New Orleans reacted and responded. So, what was what was sort of your thinking in comparing the two of them? Because it seems like you're sort of comparing this moment with the restaurant industry, even though it's um, a country you know that's responding, or you're talking about like a nationwide issue. Um, but you're sort of drawing a line more towards New Orleans versus the United States, as opposed to the United States now versus the United States after 9/11. If that makes sense.
4: Right so I th- the 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 comparison I'm um, drawing was I used 911 to make a statement about the global impact of an incident but oh sorry the 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 not global then but yes I, I guess it was global but I also meant the uh, national impact uh versus the very geographic or uh, uh the very like localized impact of Katrina Uh Katrina was uh a local bomb
3: mm-hmm.
4: obviously it had um effects on the, the wider economy you know there was i think some disruption to um, production of oil in the gulf that kind of stuff but it was really just it was really a local bomb um, uh, 9-11 was a national and in fact a global phenomenon it was an event that affected the entire country which is interesting when you think about the actual scale of what happened um but its effect you know rippled throughout uh the consciousness of all americans you know uh, and so you know there was a whole new um, security apparatus that was created after 9/11 right um so so that was that was how um, significant it was so so my my point in connecting the pandemic to 9/11 and um Katrina is, is to give examples of the scale of events. Um, the first scale was was 9/11, which was national and global, and talk about how that that affected the way we um, the way we interact uh, with, with uh, like our ideas of, of of freedom and 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 security. Um, and then Katrina was talked about. Uh, very specific reality that affected uh, the city, but also the restaurant industry, and how both were close to collapse, and how both um, rebounded. And I'm saying in both cases, when we thought that the world was going to change forever, and the world did, everything still remained the same.
3: Yeah, you said something, um, I think in that post that you wrote, you wrote, uh, still we're on the verge of nothing new. Yeah. And I thought, I mean, everything that you wrote was, you know, so poignant. But that in particular, like, sort of stopped me in my tracks. You know, the idea of like being on this precipice of having like an opportunity for change, and then of course just proceeding.
4: Yeah. My- uh, first of all, the the the, the birds. Here, uh, just violent with their chirping. So sorry about that. <laughs> our... It's
3: kind of beautiful. I love it. Okay.
4: <laughs> like people call, me, it. <laughs> people call me. and They're like, "What the fuck is going on?" I'm like, "These birds, man. They're just out here." <laughs> uh,
3: violent was not the word that came to
4: mind. <laughs> <laughs> Try trying to sleep at like three AM in the morning, and they just keep going. <laughs> um, so yes, I I'm working on this other project. Um, with a friend, there's a film, there's a short documentary project that it has now, so it sort of it wasn't inspired by the essay, but it's now like a, comp- a companion piece to the essay. And we're gonna release the first episode, I think, tomorrow or something. But um, in it, I, I say, I make a comment, and this is true, this is what I believe that there's a difference between, and this is semantic, but the principle is true the difference between like evolution and revolution Mm -hmm. right and let's just assume that I get to decide the definitions so evolution is um, sort of like adaptive change over time you know you adapt to circumstances and then revolution is like a radical break with with the past for a new future uh, 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 a paradigm shift moving from one reality to another reality that is a revolution Mm -hmm. and I think that Oftentimes we we conflate like evolution with, with with progress, and progress means that things are getting better. Evolution is the reality that we all have to live. We all have to adapt, you know. So there's nothing extraordinary about about evolving, right? There's nothing extraordinary about the fact that things are going to change. Uh, what is extraordinary is that if that change is something revolutionary, that that would be the extraordinary thing. So in the piece, what I'm saying is that. We are on the verge of nothing necessarily new we're on the verge of things continuing to remain the same in that we are on the same evolutionary trajectory and that has always been that will always be that has to be or else we are going to we are going to die like we need to evolve and the conflation of evolution with progress or the conflation of evolution um, with revolution is what gives us the idea that when we have when we face this sort of like cataclysmic event and there's uh, uh, a really concerted effort in response to the event that we can expect something revolutionary. That expectation is is, um, is flawed and is based on on this idea that evolution and revolution are are the same thing. They're not the same thing, and I'm not even and I'm not making a case for revolution or evolution. I'm just saying that they're different, and so we just need to understand that and make decisions based on the fact that these two things are different.
3: Yeah, Um, I mean, it does feel like by the end of your post that you are making a case for revolution, I assume, because isn't that why you wrote it?
4: Yeah, well, I I meant to say I'm not making a, in the statement that I just made, I wasn't.
3: Oh, in uh, that connection.
4: Yes, but yes, but obviously revolution is what I'm going for.
3: (laughs) Right, but do you you feel pessimistic that we're not eventually?
4: Oh yeah, I don't think it's gonna happen yeah um so actually i would say that maybe i'm not making a case but because i don't believe that anything is going to change i have a friend who is a publisher and she publishes work uh she publishes literary work by africans for africans but you know anybody can can read the work and her mission um to paraphrase it is that she wants to, uh, she's building the archive. And so if we think of archive as like a history or as a repository of um, of lessons, stories, feelings, um, then telling stories about who we are and having those stories told by the people who actually experienced those things Means that the archive is more true than not, right? As opposed to other people telling, um, as opposed to other people telling your story. And so, for me, in writing that, I want to leave some sort of record behind that says that not everybody was down with this bullshit. Yeah. You know, not everybody said bail out the restaurant industry. Not everybody said the restaurant industry is more important than the airline industry. Not everybody said that. You know, the way to get out of the reality of disparity and inequality in our system is to give businesses, um, you know, loans uh, and have them pay it back over two months or whatever. Like, not everybody was down for that shit, you know. So, there are folks, myself included, and, and other people too, who, who were saying and are saying that, no, let's think about things differently. And so, to the extent that extent that, that is revolutionary sure, then then that's what it is. But I don't think that, first of all, I don't even have enough power or influence to make my revolution happen. And I don't think that it's, it's going to happen because there's too much investment in, in the way things are currently.
3: Right. So, I mean, just to be clear, you're kind of, the way you, I sort of um, interpreted what you wrote is you kind of uh, served up New Orleans as, as like an a, a micro example in like America post 9-11 is like a macro example and said, that you know, there right. was opportunity both times for revolution to happen, but instead what occurred was evolution. Yeah. But there was response and there was people who called for revolution. And then ultimately we, we still have capitalism and that's. The yeah.
4: Yeah. And I, and I think you make my point better than I did. especially. No, with, I don't with, think so, okay. No, no. But especially with the 9-11 um, thing, you know, we forget, I mean, cause, because of the overwhelming um, archive or canon in favor of what happened, we forget that there were people who said, "Look, this is not a time for war. This is a time to think about America's like geopolitical um, relationship with other countries, with Muslim countries, with um, other folks. Like, this is a time to do something different." Yeah. Like, there were people who, who 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 said that, and I didn't necessarily address that at all in my essay and I probably sh- um, should have. So that's the point that I'm making by saying what I said is that, yes, that th- this is a missed opportunity. Um, and I feel like the opportunity is already gone in this moment, right? People are talking about reopening um, states I and mean, some states are already kind of partially open. Um, you know, I, th- I don't think there's probably going to be any any sort of like radical stimulus package. I think that moment was probably two relief packages ago and that's gone. So you know the, the moment is the moment is lost in my mind. Um, which isn't to like condemn our future to the same thing, but just to say that you know we need to piggyback on another moment or another effort if we want to get something different.
3: Yeah. Um <laughs> Can you just explain, uh, for those who haven't read your writing, like what is your sort of fundamental critique in which the way that restaurants are asking for relief?
4: Um, I think, well, fundamental critique. Well, the the fundamental critique is that we have disparity in the restaurant industry and in the economy at large. And there are different kinds of disparity, but the disparities that we have are material in that there are people who are, who don't have enough um, and there are consequences to not having enough. And so if you don't have enough uh, of your material needs met, it means that in plain terms, you have poor housing, poor education, poor healthcare or no healthcare, uh, poor jobs, poor leisure, just poor outcomes in general. And the folks who do have and have can look like a lot of things. You know, I don't want to simplify and say, well, they're rich and they're poor. The people who have and the people who don't have and have can look like access. It could look like other forms of capital that isn't necessarily financial. But the people who do have have at the expense of the people who don't. And in my, in my, my critique, what was I said explicitly and not, and, and implicitly was that there is a lot of language about, around solidarity. Right? but what is really happening is uh, an entrenchment of the order that exists. Right, Restaurant owners have a certain like wealth position relative to the workers who create the value for these businesses currently. Uh, and I say currently because in some future, maybe robots are going to um, replace us.
2: Definitely.
4: But what whatever sort of help or assistance that folks are asking for from the government is uh, affects workers and owners in different ways. The money that comes to workers is going to be used for consumption. Like folks have to eat, they have to eat food, they have to eat housing, they have to eat child care in the sense that they are paying for child care, paying for housing, paying for all these things. The money that comes to um, owners is an investment in their business, It's an investment in their continued. Uh, expansion uh, in terms of, of their wealth um, position. And if you remember that in the current system, the continued expansion of wealth is at the expense of folks who don't have. So we're basically asking the, the government um, to subsidize the unequal status that already exists and maybe even expand it. So So this is my, I guess, my fundamental critique is that We are entrenching the system as it is, and we're using language that is, uh, that suggests that we want different when we don't want different. And if we do want different, these are the things that we could do. We can ignore um, restaurants or be agnostic about the industries that get built out and focus on the people who make up the industries and who we call um, um, workers or labor or employees. We can, Ensure that those folks have access to health care, quality health care, quality housing, quality jobs, quality leisure um, and you know all these other surrounding um, benefits that make living worthwhile in general
3: yeah right, so I guess your point is that um, you the restaurants are asking for money to in, in order to en- enable themselves to return to the status quo yeah without yeah. addressing any sort of systemic right. issues whatsoever. So like the workers have money that acts as a Band-Aid so they can temporarily you know, deal with their immediate issues at hand and then the restaurants continue um, to profit off the backs of their workers.
4: Yeah, and I want to, I mean, this is Noah's point, right? Because for some people, when folks hear that, they think that the assumption is that owners are living off or living high off the hog, whatever the expression goes. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that owners aren't struggling. Of course they are. I'm not saying that some owners right now can't meet their bills, you know. Mm-hmm. Of course, of course, some can't, you know. So there are different like levels of precarity, you know, whether you're uh, an owner or, or a worker. What I am saying though, is that the investment in owners or workers is, um, is disparate. Um, there are different kinds of investment in, in, in our economic system, right? It's like one is a loan. One is like an investment in your business and businesses uh, are meant to create profit and accrue interest and all that stuff. So one is, one is that and the other is something else is we'll give you a stimulus check, you know, we'll give you insurance benefits so you can just keep consuming. Yeah. Right? So these are these are two different realities. But if we just like again ignored the labels of owners and workers and just took care of people because owners are people too, then the owner presumably may may also re- rethink their position. Like if they don't have to like be stressed seventy hours out of the week and worry about how they're going to meet payroll and 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 uh, uh, pay their suppliers and and stay in business, but they can. Uh, work a decent um, number of hours, and then also have the same things that we're talking about that workers need healthcare, care, um, housing education, childcare benefits, leisure Then maybe they maybe they rethink the the entire reason why they are in that business maybe they they don't want to be there and they think that's the only option they have There's a definition of of capitalism that says capitalism is a, a lack of choice. You know, you, if you, if you want to, if you want to live uh, in a home that has electricity connected to the grid, for example, um, you can't do it outside of a capitalist system. You know, if you want to, if you don't have access to certain things, you, you know, you, you can't do that outside of the capitalist system. And I think both owners and workers, again, which are just people, we're all trapped in this certain reality and it's, it's. We are either side of the same coin. And I'm not quite sure who it serves. Yeah. Ultimately, I know that some people are benefiting more than, than others, but ultimately it doesn't um, serve us to the extent that we think it does.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is why you wrote so beautifully that the restaurant industry is the best lens uh, in which to examine American capitalist values. Yeah. Um, so in terms of this revolution that, you know, you don't feel optimistic about it at this point. Um, you did re- You did lay out some demands, I guess, on a policy level, on a federal some,
4: level. Some demands to my Instagram followers. <laughs> I demand you guys do this, <laughs> right?
3: Well, I don't, yeah, yes. But I think you were also speaking to our federal government. Um, but it was, inter- I mean, to me, it's so interesting because you're, you're de- the three demands that you put forward are reparations for African-Americans, indigenous people, uh, eliminate poverty with um, a federal job guarantee and baby bonds. And all of these, when I read them, I was like, that's pretty radical. But then you also laid, you also showed us that there was precedent for all of them. So in fact, they weren't so radical um, Mm -hmm. and they could all, you know, fit historically within the precedents and also, you know, fit neatly into this Green New Deal that you described um so (laughs) so if if we can kind of pivot to if there's any sort of um window at this point for revolution maybe not with all of these policy demands being met because i mean how realistic is that but is there any way to shift at this point i think within the restaurant industry for those owners who are Mm -hmm. um like you care about possibly creating some changes and shifts so that we do have a, a more equitable industry going forward does that what would that look like? How would that have to happen?
4: Yeah, so I would say that those three things or two and a half things that I mentioned aren't my ideas. And um, so just just to be clear, and I, they're just a product of the reading that I have done. Those specific ideas as packaged together come from um, an economist named Sandy, Sandy Darity who does work um, around racial wealth disparity. And he's uh, an economist at, from Duke. University. So, the, so those are his, you know, pack it together as that are his ideas. Now, the individual um, policy recommendations don't necessarily belong to him. This is like the product of a lot of um, research that other folks have done. And then the Green New Deal is again, that's also like a policy brief, uh, or rather, not a brief, but a policy proposal that has been around. Uh, I think most of us identify the Green New Deal with um, AOC, mm-hmm. but has been around long before her, <coughs> and uh, that folks have been um working on. So,
3: have you ever? Been, I'm just curious. Have you ever been in touch with her? Just no. No. Okay.
4: Yeah. So, um, so I, I guess I'm saying all that to say that there is like a rich history of people, um, not even a history. It's a rich present of people like doing this work serious people doing this work uh, and to your point things like reparations have happened you know are, 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 you know in in also You're different working. yeah different in a different like weird ways you know are still going on like if you look at uh, <clears throat> uh, well let me not say what I, I can't like back up with facts right now but yeah reparations has happened you know um and the uh i think the the baby bonds one i'm not sure i am I'm, I'm i'm not sure if that you know they they're different that the baby bonds thing is based on programs that currently exist right like some folks can you know pay uh uh direct money towards certain accounts uh for college tuition and those have certain tax benefits and stuff like that so there are mechanisms to make this Happen. The federal jobs guarantee is basically what we have right now with uh, the unemployment insurance, right? The the government has basically created a floor for wages, and so if you are go if you make more on uh, unemployment than you would at a job, it makes sense that you wouldn't take a job, you know. Um, But again, there are all these complex emotional um, realities attached to that, because I believe that people actually want to work doing something, some, something that is valuable. Anyway, so to, in, to, to respond to your question directly, I think that the opportunity for these like, larger um, reforms may, may have passed, but what still remains is the tremendous organizing potential that we, ha- that we are seeing activated by ownership. I'm talking specifically about the IRC, the Independent Restaurant Coalition. And I'm only talking about them because they are generally the group that seems closer to the ground. The NRA, um, the National Restaurant Association, deals – it's a mix of different kinds of food businesses. But um, from what I understand and from what I – the impression that I get is dominated by larger food businesses – uh, like McDonald's, um, Disney, and these like larger companies who have um, much more clout. Uh, but you know, the NRA and the IRC to me are the same thing, uh, with all due respect. In that they are both advocating for themselves. Um, so, to my point about the, the organizing potential that exists, I think that again, if the IRC, as an example, drops its demand for sectoral specific bailout. And instead begins to advocate for wider worker relief exclusively, then we can begin to see the turnaround and, and, and the change that we need to. So imagine if the IRC wasn't like writing reams, uh, 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 ex, 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 um, expending reams and reams of paper on why the PPP doesn't work and like, you know, what new fine tweaks should should be made to that. And instead of two months after opening, they should extend it to like six months. Like instead of that, like why don't we just say universal basic income, universal insurance, uh, universal childcare. Like these are the things that directly affect the workers that you're talking about um, protecting. Like if you look at all of the owners, all they keep talking about is, I feel so bad for my workers. I feel so bad that these workers don't have a job. These workers don't need your job. They need access to healthcare, access to uh, quality um, wages. That's, that's what they need, right? So you are sort of like they are substituting the jobs that they offer for the solution that we need. And those are not the same thing at all. Like your employment is not the solution we need.
3: Sunday, I'm I'm gonna wrap up with you because I don't want to take any more of your time. Um,
4: thank you for getting me um, riled up.
3: I would I would honestly happily talk to you all day long, but <laughs> no, thank um, you. That would be rude of me to expect that of you. But thank you so much. I am like truly honored to to be speaking with you today.
4: Thank Thank you very much. Thank Appreciate you for your
3: voice that. and your writing. Um, I. I absolutely want to be part of your revolution. A lot of people feel <laughs> yes. anyway. Thank you. Um, so keep going. But tell us where we can follow you.
4: Um, I think on Instagram um, from underscore um, Lagos. Right. Yeah.
3: All right. Well, you stay safe. You too. Take care. Okay. All right. Cheers. Day. Thank you.
2: Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network